Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 6, The Good, the Bad, and the Foolish. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. At the end of last week's episode, Solomon and a whole slew of laborers and craftsmen had just finished building my temple. To signify my approval, I fill the place with smoke. And now you know what's next. It's happened at nearly every turning point in the Abra plan so far. Wait for it. Wait for it. You've got it. A speech. It's another beauty, though. Solomon is one of the finest orators, some say the finest, in the owner's manual. And you can guess what I'm going to suggest right now. You've got that, too. See how well you know me already? Break Tom out and read the speech for yourself. It's in 1 Kings 8. Solomon takes my filling the holy place with smoke as his cue to begin elucidating the moment. He briefly summarizes the journey to this making clear I am the one who chose David as king. He gives Dad the credit for wanting to build my superb edifice, but then Solomon makes clear to the people that I am the one who chose him to be the next king and to be the human to build my magnificent house. The real poetry comes when Solomon connects the whole project to my ark as having built a suitable place for it to rest and points out the ark's highly symbolic contents, the stone tablets recording the covenant I made with their ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt. He wisely reminds the people of my faithfulness to them throughout the whole saga, rescuing them from slavery, guiding them through the wilderness, establishing them in this promised land. The people and I are bound together in covenant and contract as attested by the stones within the ark. And so this whole building project is all about relationship my unique relationship with my beloved people. This is the crowning moment of that whole shebang, not the capture of the land, not the crowning of this or that king, not the building of a capital city. These have all indeed been part of the journey. This is the moment, though, when the covenant promises I made on that mountain to my servant Moses are marked as fulfilled in bounty, as they are carried within my ark and placed in stone tablet form upon what amounts to my throne, there on the highest point in the capital of that promised, fully delivered land. And then the prayer. Me, what a prayer! I wish you'd hit the pause button and fire up your app and read 1 Kings 8, all of it, or at least from verse 10 through the end of the chapter. There's so much there. Solomon prays a beautiful prayer. I, I never get tired of that one. Not that 
we ever get tired or ever get tired of your prayers. It's just a laudatory expression, so relax and keep talking to me. Solomon's prayer is dense, powerful, practical, and thoughtful. In this prayer, Solomon manages to become a conduit for what amounts to a renewal of our covenant with our people, reminding them of their special relationship with an even more special God, reminding us of the promises we have made them, and reminding everyone, both the people and me, of their responsibilities in view of this special relationship. Solomon makes sure the people understand that I am not really going to fit in this building here, special as it may be. But he asks us to make it our exclusive contact point on earth, the relay station or portal from and through which our communication and relationship with our people will be conducted. Solomon's words to the people also indicate that he's a good listener. Plenty of his proverbs speak to the value of listening closely to others. Solomon has heard me in my talks with him, my if-then talks. If you stay on the way with me, then I will bless you and your line on this throne forever. You'll have a long life, and I'll dwell among you and not forsake you, and generally will have your back in abundance and peace. Solomon knows his people well enough to know they're going to blow it in sin. And so, as part of his prayer, Solomon asks me to forgive the people when they turn back to us in repentance. This is as much for their hearing benefit as mine, asking that my eyes and ears are open to my people whenever they call to me at this place, whether they're standing right in front of it or at the nation's borders aiming their prayers in my temple's general direction, in order that their requests and cries ricochet up to me. Solomon ends his prayer with a final lick reminding me that I've intentionally cut these people off from any other help but my own, and that I am their only hope because I have made it so and promised I'd make sure everything would be okay. Nice touch, Solomon. He then turns to the people, and in addition to the big hints he was dropping in their direction during his prayer, commands them directly to incline their hearts to me, to walk in my ways on the way, and to keep my commands. Then, and here's something I really want you to catch here, when he invokes my constant hearing of the prayer he's just said, Solomon touches on something that's been lost in the scramble the primary purpose for everything we are doing. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that Yahweh is God, there is no other. Easy to miss, but there. A poignant reminder that all this attention my people are getting is ultimately with everyone else who ever lives, all the peoples of the earth in mind. And may your hearts be fully committed to Yahweh our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Boy, is there a whole nother episode in as at this time, as in, sure, you all are keeping the commandments right this moment because you're standing here in what amounts to church on a very, very big holiday. Make sure to keep walking the walk later in the week when ordinary life sets in.
The point of their lives, and of yours, is not just to have a comfy, cozy relationship with me, though that gets us halfway there. We do love you. We honestly love you, just like we love our children being addressed by Solomon right now. This is a chance, though, to look at the bigger picture in both habitats, Solomon's and yours. Yours is so engineered to individuality. It's hard for you to see beyond yourself and your own pursuit of happiness into the larger picture of your life becoming a blessing to the community around you. Just as Solomon and his people are called to live in such a way that all the peoples of the earth may know that I am God, so are you. My care for them isn't supposed to stop with them. It's supposed to move through them into all peoples of the earth. My care for you isn't supposed to stop with you. You are not supposed to be a cul-de-sac, but an avenue through which my care and love flows into the lives connected to you. As you can imagine, we will have more to say along these lines as the Abra plan hits your habitat. But Solomon handed us this opportunity on a platter, and we had to jump at the chance. It's at this point that Chronicles includes details similar in liveliness to that it included in the account of David's first sacrifice upon the same spot when it was all still a Jebusite threshing floor. When Solomon ends his prayer, fire comes down from heaven and consumes the burnt offerings and sacrifices. My glory fills the temple, and my presence, my Shekinah, is made visually manifest so that all the people assembled witnessing everything with their own eyes can and will testify to everyone they meet that they have seen me move in to my new abode. That last time on the threshing floor was for David's benefit. This time the fireworks are for the nation itself as a signal of my pleasure, presence, and blessing in this singular moment. Every person there will carry the memory of this display of power with them for the rest of their lives, and tell their children and grandchildren what they have seen this day. And then there's another party, a long one, as sacrifices are made and roasted by the heap, so many that they're made in the outer courtyard rather than inside the temple proper to provide enough space for it all. It's a full week of feasting festival that combines conveniently with the Feast of Tabernacles, which means everyone from out of town has brought and built their own temporary shelter for the occasion. So it's all very jubilant, very high-end camp-out, cook-out, gala celebration rolled into one. 1 Kings 8, 65, 2 Chronicles 7, 8 through 10. It's a delicious touchstone moment in our life with our children. While some have maintained a faithful life of worship and sacrifice in the interim, many have not. And now is a time of renewal for everyone in Israel to resume that which has dropped out of their habits, so to speak. All the lessons we've talked about at the outset of our covenant are refreshed in their hearts in terms of how meaningful their sacrifices are, not just the lesson of sin and holiness, but the lessons of forgiveness and reconciliation, 
of relationship with one another and with us. Once again, I want you to think past the individualism of your habitat and see these lessons operating on my children, both one person at a time and communally. Their individual sins are being atoned for and their identity as my child confirmed. But their corporate identity, their sense of being together in their relationship with us, is also strengthened. And the resumption of the cadence of festivals, all celebrated in high style now at this glorious temple, continues to build a common memory in my children. Memory held one person at a time as memory is, but that also affirms each person as an important part of a greater whole. Yes, you are in relationship with me. I am both individual and plural, though, one and community at the same time. You may need to replay season one if that doesn't make sense anymore. Likewise, while your identity as an individual flows from me and my loving care for you, you should also have a sense of others who are in community with me, putting you in community with them. There is enough challenge to walking on the way as it is without feeling like you have to go it alone, as it were, though I am, of course, always with you. There is strength in numbers, though, and there are others like you who are listening to my whispers and feeling my nudges tug at their hearts. You already know some of them, whether you realize it or not. If you do, lean on each other, friend. If you don't know who else is on the way around you, ask me to arrange a coincidental meeting or conversation with them and you will soon find strength and companionship, both divine and human, on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself. <laughs>